0: It's a critical moment of choice. And now, here is your host, Mark Passio. Welcome.
1: It is great to be here. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening, a new radio show on Revolution Broadcasting. I'm your host, Mark Passio, and um, before we get into the topic that we're going to discuss tonight, I want to make a few announcements about how the show is going to work. I want to send some thanks out to people that made this show happen, and uh, I'll give the call in number. Maybe we'll get to some calls a little bit later. So um, this show is going to be broadcast live on Tuesday evenings uh, at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and it's going to be two hours. The second hour is going to be picked up by Revolution Broadcasting and aired on Thursday evening at 8 p.m. Okay, so the, the show is broadcast live on Tuesdays, The two-hour show. second hour is going to be picked up by Revolution Broadcasting on Thursday evening at 8. So uh, tune in every, thir- every Tuesday and Thursday at 8 p.m. on Revolution Broadcasting. My website, you can listen live to both hours there, is whatonearthishappening.com. That's whatonearthishappening.com. Okay, so I want to send out some thanks uh, to some people for making this show happen. The, the first person I want to thank is Bob Tuscan from theylie.com. And uh, he was really instrumental in helping me uh, get this show on the air. And uh, uh, an an incredible amount of thanks go out to him for uh, all of his help in getting everything set up. I want to also thank Eric G. for introducing me to Bob and uh, basically setting the chain of events in motion that led to um, me getting the show. So uh, with that in mind, let me give you the call-in numbers, and uh, hopefully we'll get to uh, some callers a little bit later on this evening. The call-in number is 347-884-9417. That's 347-884-9417. Okay, so let me tell you a little bit about what I do and what um, we're going to be talking about here tonight. I give a presentation Uh, uh, it's a slideshow presentation and lecture and it's called What on Earth is Happening and in it I basically try to get to the root causal factors of the problems that humanity is experiencing as a species To, to strike at the very root of these problems and understand enough about the nature of these problems so that we can basically go to work on solving them because Ultimately, that's what this is really all about. Many of us have recognized a lot of the problems that humanity faces, but not many of us really understand the causal nature of those problems, the absolute root core factors that are really contributing to those problems and uh, why we see them uh, manifesting in our in our shared reality. So, in order to get down to how these problems work. You need enough basic information about the nature of the problem. And once you have that, then you can move on to actually implementing solutions. So that's basically what we're going to talk about here tonight. We're going to uh, basically get to the heart, the very heart of the nature of the problems that we encounter uh, as a species and what's really taking place around us in the world. So the first thing I want to talk about, what this entire radio show is ultimately going to be about, is what is truth? We have to get down to the fundamental core of what truth actually is and understand it enough because truth is intricately related to the problem of why we experience suffering in our world. It's completely intermeshed with that idea. Truth in in the way that I look at it throughout my presentation and the way that it's going to be uh, dealt with on this radio program is essentially nothing more than that which is. That which has actually undergone the process of actually occurring in our reality. Nothing more than that. Events actually take place. They play out in our three-dimensional space-time reality. And that's what I'm calling truth. It isn't the understanding of the mind of God, so to say, or anything extremely esoteric. It's simply events occur. We can understand those events. We can come to an understanding of what is actually taking place both within us and around us. And really, that is the core reason of why we experience suffering in the world, because we as a whole, as a collective consciousness, have really gone off the path of truth. We are engaged in illusion, we are engaged in fantasy, we are engaged in fundamental axioms, belief systems, that we take as true, but which fundamentally are not true. And when we basically stay attached to these ideas and core axioms we suffer as a result if they're not in alignment with what actually is. So let me define what an axiom is, because this is going to be critical uh, as we go forward and talk about concepts like this, to understanding what is really taking place. An axiom is a statement or a proposition that is regarded as already having been established it's it's taken as true it is something that is accepted it's a it's a uh, something that is considered self-evident to most people okay now that could be a real problem if what that person takes as self-evident isn't actually what is and trying to explain to a lot of people as i'm sure most people who listen to uh to this network understand is once you start to take ideas to people that aren't in keeping what what they already consider to be true it's a very difficult barrier to break down between you and the other person that you're trying to explain um information to so we're going to address that Uh, we're going to basically talk about self-knowledge in this program because That is what we really need to get down to if we are not to be fooled, if we are not to take deception and falsehood as truth in the world. We have to understand the self and what's going on in human consciousness. So as the introduction said, a big part of what we're going to talk about on this radio program is human consciousness, how it works, what the qualities of consciousness are. We're going to talk about how consciousness manifests. We're going to talk about how it has um, an expression through the physiology. And we'll get into the brain in this program. We'll get into some neuroscience in this program to understand how the human brain works. That's fundamentally important to understanding what's taking place in the world. So to get back to the idea of truth. I want to read a quote by the philosopher Soren Kierkegaard. He said that really, there are only two ways that people are ever fooled in the world. One is that they believe that which is not true. They they accept something that has no basis in actual reality. So they accept ideas or propositions that are not true. The second way that people are fooled is that they refuse to accept that which is true and is actually taking place around them. And Kierkegaard basically said these are the only ways that people are really ever fooled in the world, that that they uh, experience manipulation. And I would take this statement even a step further, and I would say that these are really the only two reasons that humanity ever really experiences suffering. Those are the two reasons that humanity experiences suffering. They believe that which is not true and they refuse to accept that which is true. So that, that can be another topic of discussion and we can get a dialogue going about this a little bit later. Now, um, the, the next thing I want to talk about is manipulation and deception, okay? Th- these go to work on us on a daily basis, as many of us know, to basically pull us away from the truth and to get us to not see the truth, get us to not see what is right there in front of our eyes, in plain sight, so to speak, um, Adolf Hitler, the Supreme Chancellor during the Third Reich in Nazi Germany, he made a statement, and he said, Make the lie big. Make it simple. Keep saying it. And eventually, the people will believe it. Make the lie big. Make it simple. Keep saying it, and eventually you'll get people to accept it. Now think about that. You have to make the lie big. It has to be about something that everyone thinks about, that everyone values in life. It has to be about general concepts that that people accept, that people take into themselves and then base their life upon. Hitler's minister of propaganda during the Third Reich was Paul Joseph Goebbels. And he made a statement that is actually even more sinister than Hitler's. He said, the bigger the lie, the more it will be believed. The bigger deceivers make the lie, the more people are likely to accept it into their fundamental makeup. Imagine that. And this is true. And we're going to talk about some of these big lies as we move forward on this radio program. And um, another thing that we're basically going to do is we we really want to understand, again, self-knowledge. That's going to be the way out of the mess that we're in. Once we recognize the problems, the solution really lies in understanding who we really are who we really are, and the only way you can do that is if you have enough knowledge of yourself, how your own consciousness works, and how to bring that consciousness to a place of balance. So I want to read another quote by, uh, this is an inscription that is written on the Oracle of Delphi in Greece from uh, the, the, the Greek mystery traditions, schools of consciousness, and um, and, uh, people who deeply studied and reflected upon the nature of consciousness and self. Here's the quote. Heed these words, you who wish to probe the depths of nature. If you do not find within yourself that which you seek, neither will you find it outside of yourself. If you ignore the wonders of your own house, How do you expect to find other wonders? In you is hidden the treasure of treasures. Know thyself and you will know the universe and the gods. Know thyself and you will know the universe and the gods. Now this this statement reflects a fundamental core truth about the nature of reality that that we are embedded in. It says if you know the self you will know the universe so moving from the very small to the very large and knowledge about one reflects knowledge about the other this says something about the nature of our reality it says that our reality is self similar across scales it is fractal in nature okay it is holographic in nature. A hologram is an image that you can keep breaking apart down into smaller and smaller elements. Yet within each element, if you cut a hologram in half, you don't get half uh, an image. You get a whole image at a slightly lower level of re- re- resolution. But nonetheless, the entire image is present. The universe works the same way. If you understand enough about the constituent elements of the universe, meaning the individual consciousness that comprise it, you understand about the whole of nature. So, why do people not understand this principle? Why do they not know the self? Why are we experiencing all the types of problems that we are experiencing? based on the fact that people do not understand themselves, that they do not understand the nature of their own consciousness. But moreover, to go back to the fundamental things that people value or or accept and how that dictates the quality of their life. If, if you did this as a social experiment, let's say you went to about 20 or 30 individuals and you asked them, tell me, list the three things that you value above everything else in life. Just list the three things that you think are the most critical to your life and the quality of your life. Now, I guarantee you you would get an extremely diverse um, amount of answers. They would be all across the board. They would range from family to health to money to, uh, you know, possessions to um, just a religion, general concepts in life. But I, I would almost guarantee you, I would almost be willing to bet anything on the fact that if you did this social experiment, even with many people around you, you would not get back the answer, truth, from many people. And this is why we're in the mess that we're in as as a whole, as a people. People have lost the idea that truth is valuable, that it means something in relationship to the experience of their lives that it dictates the quality of that which they experience in their lives and again these two things are fundamentally interwoven and cannot be separated from each other when we are in alignment with what is we are in alignment with what is and what is true and we speak the truth and we live according to truth, and, and by that I mean natural law and moral law, and we're going to talk about those things, then the quality of our experience improves and we don't suffer. If, however, the nature of our lives varies in accordance with what is, truth, then we experience suffering in proportion to the amount that we go off the path of truth. And that is how it works. It really does work like that. That is a fundamental law of nature. And many people refuse to accept that as a fundamental law of nature. You know, just like gravity is a law of nature, doesn't matter whether you believe in it. If you step off a cliff, you're going to experience the result of what the law of gravity will do to the body whether you believe in it or not it's really kind of irrelevant whether you believe in a natural law because it's in place and you're bound by it now that that could mean you can choose to ignore it but you're going to suffer proportionally to the amount that you ignore that law and this is going to lead me into another concept and I uh, I want to bring out the difference between two forms of not knowing because I'm going to talk a lot about natural law and how natural law works throughout this program and programs that we do into the future we're going to delve into the nature of the problems uh, deeply and we're going, look at, we're going to look into the darkness certainly we're not going to ignore anything that other people consider negative. We will be talking about the, 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 the core nature of, of the problem. But I want to address why people largely don't understand this, primarily. What is the difference between nescience and ignorance? Is there a difference between nescience and ignorance? Nescience is kind of like a formal a formal term for ignorance or uh, general not knowing. It means not knowing. Now, there is a difference between nescience and ignorance. Nescience is not knowing or not understanding something that you wouldn't really be reasonably expected to know or understand. Ignorance is deliberately turning aside from something that you can be reasonably expected to know or understand. Hence the word ignorance. Ignore. You are deliberately choosing not to look at that which is, which is right in front of you or which is easily able to be understood and taken in by you with a minimal amount of effort. And I would argue that humanity in today's world does not exist in a state of nescience, because there is a profound amount of knowledge in the world. There is an unbelievable amount of information out there on every topic imaginable. Bookstores are full there are thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of documentaries available out there. People are lecturing constantly in all cities, at all times and places. There is just, there's so much, it's, it's almost overkill, the amount of information that is out there. And yet you still have people that just don't want to know. They don't want to look at the truth because of how ugly it has become. Because of how much we have descended in consciousness and become something that really humanity um, probably should never have become and does not need to stay in this state for really a moment longer. The knowledge is all around us. It's all there. It's a matter of whether we will reach out and take it. And it's also a matter of once some of us understand the information that is out there, so some of us understand the truth, how much will we be willing to fearlessly take it to others around us? How many of us would be really willing to speak the truth into existence and really Bring it to other people who need to understand it, whether that may be uncomfortable for us or not, because it kind of creates sometimes oppositional circumstances between people, and um, you know family members can come to come to to uh, um, an oppositional relationship when it comes to um, one person trying to bring information that Another, another person may not necessarily be willing to look at and that's another dynamic that I want to address as uh, we go forward on this radio show so the next thing I really want to do is and, and for a, probably a good amount of the remainder of uh, this first hour of the show I want to bring up the concept that in my presentation And and on this show, I'm going to be referring to as the biggest lie. The biggest lie, okay? There's one lie that is really bigger than any other that is ever told. And it is the most dangerous ideology that basically exists. And this is the ideology. I'm, I'm going to tell you what the name of it. There actually is a name for it. I don't give it that name in my presentation, but on the show I want to actually tell you what the name of this ideology is called, because, and we're going to get into it in depth, because this is one of the most fundamental ideologies, believe it or not, in the Western world. As difficult as that may be for some people to believe, this ideology is so prevalent and it's so insidious you, you will find it out there, you, you have discussions with people, people who you would least expect to hold this uh, general ideology. You'll find that they believe this, and they're unwilling to accept anything else, um, no matter how much uh, contradictory ev- evidence is brought to their attention. And this ideology is called solipsism. Solipsism. Now, many will be hearing this word for the first time, because it's not generally talked about as a philosophy or an ideology, so a lot of people don't know what it is, okay? So I'm going to read a basic definition of what solipsism is, and then get into this, because this is the biggest lie, and this is the main deception that Manipulators really use, and they they want people to unknowingly and unwittingly accept the the philosophy of solipsism, even if it's in the back of their minds. And many people are solipsists and don't even really know it. They don't even really understand that that's the ideology that they subscribe to. And I'll, I'll give an anecdote after I get into it a little bit about uh, some solipsists that I have met in my uh, travels and in uh, uh, dealing with some people even in the, uh, the the truth and freedom movements. So what solipsism is, is it's the philosophical notion that one's own mind is really all that exists and that one's perceptions are equated To reality and truth okay so your perceptions are all that there is the contents of your mind your perceptions that's all that exists and if you believe that you might as well turn this show off right now because there's nothing that I or anyone else can really say that could dissuade you from your course however this is the biggest lie there is no more dangerous ideology than the notion that there is no such thing as truth. This is, the, um, this is the ideology that is placed out there to dissuade people from ever really going on the journey, from ever really stepping onto the spiritual path in life and the path toward truth. Because if you can convince someone that there really is no truth, That it's all relative, that it's all based on people's perceptions, no matter how erroneous or no matter how totally straying from natural law principles their perceptions may be, then you really have them where you want them to begin to manipulate their sense of reality. That's the biggest lie. What what kind of ideology, before we even get into where this ideology leads, let's look at Let's look at some of the tenets, the basic tenets of solipsism, okay? Solipsism basically states that there essentially is no reality. There there is no actual experiences. It's all just one person's perception. In other words, if my mind ceases to exist, the universe ceases to exist. So nothing really exists to a solipsist. It, it's all just a fleeting thing in between the time when when one, when someone is born and the time that they die, and nothing really matters. And, and the second tenet is, even if something exists, you know, it, it's basically saying, okay, if tenet number one is somehow miraculously disproven and we can prove that something actually exists. Nothing can actually be known about it. So there's no such thing as knowledge. Knowledge doesn't exist to a solipsist. There's no such thing as knowledge. So there's no no truth. That's the first tenet. There's no such thing as the way things are. No truth. There's no such thing as knowledge. In other words, even if you could come to an understanding in your own mind of uh, a... the way natural law works, even if you could come to an understanding of something in itself, um, I'm sorry, even if you could understand that something exists, you could not really understand anything about it in fullness. And then the third tenet of solipsism is, even if something could be known about anything, okay, you take some kind of natural law, you take some kind of basic principle, you take a a thing or an object or a, a fundamental quality of consciousness, and even if you could get to the truth about any of those things, you could understand something and actually know any information fully about it, you could never actually really communicate that to any other living being, that knowledge about anything cannot really be communicated to other beings. Now, this ideology, in my understanding, is about as close to the conception of hell as it gets. Nothing exists. Even if something were to exist, you can never know, really know anything about it. And even if you were to somehow come into knowledge about it, it is impossible to take that knowledge and communicate it to anyone else. And What I would say is this is the biggest lie. This is the lie that manipulators really want propagated to other people because that means they'll never begin the awakening process. The awakening process takes one initial leap of faith. Only one. One and only one. And that leap of faith is that you must initially believe that there is truth to be found on the journey. Otherwise, you will never set foot on that path. If you believe there is no such thing as the truth, it doesn't matter about anything else that takes place around you because you will never actually, for yourself, look into anything. If you believe you're you're not capable of understanding truth, you'll never start looking into it for yourself. And if you buy the third tenet that... Even if you were to understand it, you can never really truly communicate it to anyone else. You'll never really begin speaking the truth to anyone else. And that's why this is the most dangerous and insidious ideology on the face of the earth. And it's called solipsism. Remember that word. Look into it. And there are more solipsists out there than you would even believe. I know that may be difficult for some people in the type of listening audience that uh, listens here on Revolution Broadcasting and the people that come to uh, my site, whatonearthishappening.com. However, that is the case. There are a lot of solipsists out there. And uh, I work with a group in the Philadelphia area called Truth, Freedom, Prosperity. I attend a lot of their meetings. They're they're activists, and um, they're people who actively are truth seekers and uh, people who are really trying to turn the tide in the dynamic that we're experiencing right now. And even, I I go out to some of their meetings and even some people that come out to hear uh, ideas that are expressed in a group like this, I've heard the notion that there is really no such thing as truth, even in groups like that, Uh, which is a, a disheartening thing to hear in the truth and freedom movements, Um, you would think, why would anybody be out at a group called Truth, Freedom, Prosperity if they believed there was no such thing as truth and it was all about individual perceptions? See, the idea that perception is reality is something that many people really want to propagate and embed in the consciousness of people, but perception is not reality. The quality of our experience is dictated by how closely aligned our perceptions come with truth. And our goal in life needs to be to bring our perceptions into harmony with truth, with with that which is. So we're not constantly engaged in fantasy, so that we're not constantly ignoring that which is going on around us and more importantly we're not ignoring that which is going on within us because that's really where this is all being driven from and you're not going to hear me too much talk about the highest level of the control element that's going on you're not going to hear me get into hatred toward those people who are really up at the highest level of the uh, the, the the conspiratorial um, pyramid, because I don't hold a lot of um, bitterness or anger toward those people. In a lot of ways, they are united with themselves at least. In a very sick, twisted, and dark way, they're united with themselves. See. They're beings that as they think, so they feel, and so they act. As twisted as their actions may be, they're still in unity, at least with themselves. And that's why they're successful at what they do. That's why they have and have had, up to this point, a largely easy time at manipulating the rest of us because most of us are not cannot make that same claim. We can't make that same claim sadly. That as we think, so we feel and so we act in unison. And there is no contradiction between those three modalities of our consciousness in our lives. Many of us cannot really make that statement. We take actions that we know in our In the knowledge that we carry and in our emotions, how we feel about it, we know and understand that essentially those actions are not what we should be doing, yet for whatever reasons or justifications, we take those actions anyway. And that's how we get off the path of truth, and that, again, is why we suffer. And we really can't bring those three aspects of ourselves, our thoughts, Our emotions and our actions into alignment unless we understand enough about ourselves and how we work and that's why the manipulators of this world are really so successful they understand how consciousness works they understand how natural law works they understand how the principles of truth work they've decided to take that knowledge and use it as a weapon against other people that they wish to control and put under their thumb. Because if you can take so, so much knowledge out of general circulation and you can hide it, you can occult that knowledge. And that's all the word occult means. And we'll be talking about a lot about the occult. We'll be talking about different occult systems, different occult ideologies and beliefs, different occult groups as this show progresses over the weeks. All the word occult means is hidden. It comes from the Latin. Again, another thing I'm going to be doing a lot on this show is... We'll be free-forming ideas, we'll we'll be throwing different concepts out there, but one thing I really am going to be doing a lot is getting into the meaning of words and getting into how words control people. We are controlled through words more than any other methodology, believe it or not. That's true. The word occult is derived from Latin, and do this as an experiment. Just... Play a general word association game with people. Say occult, and then tell the person, tell me the first word that comes to your mind when I say that word. And I guarantee you, you can do this a hundred times. I guarantee you, at least ninety percent of the time, the first word that is going to come back in a word association game with other people, if you say the word occult, you will get back the word evil. Almost guaranteed. Try it. This is what manipulators want you to think of as the occult. Okay, All it is is knowledge that has been hidden. It comes from the Latin verb occultare. Occultare means to hide or to conceal. That's it. So the word occult is derived from Latin, and all it means is that which is hidden from sight. Nothing more, nothing less. There is no connotation on whether it is for good purposes or for evil purposes. And that's another distinction that we're going to make in this radio program. What is the difference between understanding and wisdom? What is the difference between knowledge and properly applied knowledge? See, to know something, and many people that are listening to this show and many people throughout the world have a lot of knowledge. They know a lot about what is going on. However, that's only the first step. Having knowledge can be helpful, and having knowledge can be useless. Knowledge is simply information. Okay? And what matters isn't necessarily having the knowledge, accurate information about what is. That's knowledge. However, what really makes knowledge important, knowledge in itself isn't power. What you do with what you know really imbues knowledge with power. That's when it becomes actively applied knowledge, and that is done through our actions. Once you know, what are you going to do with what you know? And hopefully this program will be an inspiration for some people to really begin using The most powerful device, the most powerful agency, the most powerful force in the known universe, and that is the power of the human voice. That is the most powerful force in the universe. The voice is the greatest gift that we have ever been given, and it can serve a dual purpose because the manipulators of this world They're using their voice 24-7, and they're using it for deception and manipulation and the propagation of lies, and in particular, the biggest lie, that there's no truth. Don't even bother going after it. After all, you can't know it. You don't have the ability to really know and understand what is going on and what is taking place around you. And more importantly, they want you to identify with the fact that you can't really know what's going on inside of yourself, in your own consciousness. So um, knowledge properly applied in the world, that is what wisdom is. And that's what makes knowledge good or bad, used for good to elevate human consciousness, or used for evil purposes to spread deception and to keep people um, ignorant and to keep people under control. So um, no topics are going to be considered taboo on this show. There is no such thing as negative information. This is where I come to a a great um, divergence with some new age schools of thought. I'm not a new age um, uh, subscriber in this regard, okay? There is no such thing as negative information. As a matter of fact, one of the worst things that I think that we can do is refuse to engage the truth no matter how ugly it is. If we refuse to look at our own shadow, at the darkness that dwells in our own individual consciousnesses and in our own hearts, then we're really not going to get very far on the journey that we're on, and we're not really going to get to the heart of the matter. We have to be willing to look into that heart of darkness and confront it because th- there's really no escape from the situation. I uh, hate to break the news to most people, but there's no escape. From the situation that we've worked ourselves into as a species there really is no escaping it the way out of this uncomfortable situation is to go through it not around it not under it not over it not turning your back and walking in the other direction it doesn't work like that the way out is to go through the problems that we've created by confronting them. And the only way to do that is to look at oneself. The answer lies in the mirror, and that's going to be the focus of what this show is really ultimately all about. We are going to, this show is going to be a process of self-examination above all else. Self-examination. The more self-knowledge we have about how we work and why, We fundamentally believe the things that we do and why we fundamentally behave in the ways that we do. Until we have enough information about that, you really aren't in a position to start affecting things for the better and and moving it toward the solution. There does have to come knowledge first. Otherwise, we'd be running around like chickens with our heads cut off, not really knowing what's going on, not really knowing what's going on within us. Most importantly, so um, let's uh, further break some of these ideas down and get into. Um, let's get into what human consciousness really is ultimately about. We have a threefold nature to our consciousness. Maybe it would help first. Let Let's talk about what consciousness is. Consciousness is really the solution to the problems that we face. It's it's the solution for not being deceived anymore. It's the solution for not being able to be externally controlled by other people anymore. Consciousness is the solution to ultimately all the problems that we face as a species. Because if we don't have consciousness we're wandering in the dark. We are wandering in base levels of awareness. You you never really know the difference between truth and falsehood if you're at a low vibrational consciousness. You know, somebody can come along with any lie or any made-up notion, and they could hold it out there as bait, and you're, you'd be willing to to bite it and buy it. You know, again, uh, it, it has been said are we really being sold the lies that we're uh, living according to did we really were we really sold them or did we buy them willingly that's a question we all really need to ask ourselves were we so hungry for someone to take responsibility for us for someone to think for us, for someone to solve problems for us, that we were willing to lay aside our personal responsibility, and most of all, our responsibility to, to understanding the truth, were we willing to lay that aside and just say, okay, I'll take your solution. You, 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 all you have to do is put it out there, and I accept, uh, I'll buy it. I think the latter is certainly the case. That we really weren't sold the mess that we're in. We bought it hook, line, and sinker. And the only way to really get out of that, that modality of being in the world is to raise consciousness. That's what the solution ultimately is. Every problem contains in, it, in itself the seed of its own solution. And that seed is human consciousness. Now... Consciousness, how I'm going to use it, and again, not just tonight but throughout the entire show, the, the definition that I'm going to use for consciousness, when I say consciousness, what I'm talking about is it's our ability to recognize patterns that are going on with respect to the events that are taking place around us. And not just around us, but also inside of us. You know, the internal patterns that take place within the body, within the mind, within our feelings. That's what consciousness is about, being able to recognize patterns and meaning. What do those patterns mean? Not just that they are there, but then why are they there? The question why has to be addressed all the time. That's what consciousness really is. It's looking at something, and it's asking the question, why? Why is it like this? Why is this the fundamental nature of this thing or this problem or this event? So consciousness is our ability to recognize patterns and meaning with respect to the events that are taking place both within us and around us. That's all I'm really referring to when I refer to human consciousness. And consciousness can either be raised through knowledge or it can be manipulated through knowledge. And that is what we're going to really get into when we start getting into occult methodologies for controlling consciousness. And that's by any name that you give it, that is mind control. And that's what, going to be one of the central focuses of this show as we move forward. I'm going to talk about mind control and its methodologies. Because if someone doesn't understand the methodologies of mind control, they don't really have the tools to understand the ways that they may be actively being manipulated by other people who do not have their best intentions at heart. So we have to know the methodologies of mind control and mind control works on multiple fronts. There's so many different methodologies of it. There are, and I'm largely talking about mass mind control. There's something called trauma based mind control, which we're probably going to do a full show on. However, what I'm largely talking about is mass mind control, mind control that goes to work on large populations of people based on programming into them the fundamental axioms or core belief systems that people fundamentally take as true and then act upon as if they are true. That's what mind control is, and um, we, we have to be aware of how it works. And again, it's, it's a multifaceted set of techniques. That's what mind control is. It works through very, very powerfully through words. So understanding the words that we speak, understanding language is a huge part of mind control. I don't know whether anyone is familiar with something called neuro-linguistic programming, which is about word choice and speech patterns related to embedding ideas in people's consciousness so that they act in certain ways. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the use of symbolism for mind control. Symbolism is an archetypal language. It is a language that if we don't understand the building blocks of and the syntax of, then we are completely vulnerable to its manipulation at a subconscious level. So we'll be getting into symbolism a lot on this program. We'll be talking about um, frequency, the use of colors, and, uh, and um, we'll be getting into the use of shapes and forms and how all of these come together in a cohesive way and are used to influence the thoughts and ultimately be used as a mechanism to subvert consciousness and control it. It, it it really is it's more than mind control it's consciousness control is what the human species is basically under it is the manipulation and control of the three forms uh, the three experiential forms of human consciousness which we're going to get into in a, in a few moments so I want to do a couple of things uh, the, the first hour is going to be winding down soon I want to give out again The call-in number for this program and encourage people to call in during the second hour I basically largely laid out a lot of concepts during this first hour in a a short amount of time so let's have some callers call in on the call in line and uh, let's take some calls in the second hour if we can the number to call in is three four seven eight eight four nine four one seven So go ahead and start calling that, and uh, I'll take some calls during the second hour of the broadcast tonight. The number, again, is 347-884-9417. My website is whatonearthishappening.com, and um, again, this show is going to be live on Tuesday evening, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, and it's going to be live on revolutionbroadcasting.com for the first hour. The second hour feed will be picked up by Revolution Broadcasting, and it will be broadcast on Thursday evening from 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time. So let's uh, wrap up the show with uh, the first hour of the show with uh, an explanation of the two basic ways that consciousness Breaks down and manifests. And essentially, these are in an internal feminine manifestation and in an external masculine manifestation. So I'll say that one more time. Consciousness, there is essentially two seemingly opposite qualities. However, they are really not opposites. They are really unified, and they, are, they dance with each other is a good way to look at it, okay? They're, they're actually embraced, and they form the whole, the quality of the whole of consciousness. There is an internal, an indwelling feminine manifestation, and then there is an external masculine manifestation of consciousness, now, different spiritual systems have given these different names, okay? Uh, for example, you can look in uh, Taoism, and in Taoism, they're called yin and yang, okay? Yin is the internal um, feminine. It's a, it's a passive quality. It's an intuitive quality. It is, it is uh, more compassionate or submissive. And it is associated with the right brain, okay, the right brain hemisphere, largely carries this energy, the yin quality. Uh, in in um, different occult traditions, let's say in, um, in uh, Kabbalah, you have the, the paths of severity and mercy, okay, so this would be like the, the mercy quality in Kabbalah, okay, it is the, the, the feminine aspect now you have you have um, the external male quality of consciousness and that's in Taoism that would be called the yang quality in consciousness. this would be the more dominant or um, uh, analytical the logical side this would be a male element and it would be more associated with the left brain hemisphere okay so we could look at uh, this in relationship to Freemasonry, for example, and you have the two pillars in Freemasonry. You have the pillar of Joachim leading to the sun, which could be considered the Yang energy or the masculine quality of consciousness. The 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 pillar of Boaz leads to the moon. That would be the feminine quality of consciousness. Okay, so we'll get into this uh, a little bit more in hour number two. In hour number two, I want to take uh, calls. From, from listeners and discuss some of the ideas that I talked about during hour one, particularly uh, uh, the, the concept of what truth is. I want to talk about the dangerous ideology of solipsism and get your thoughts on that. And we'll get more into the breakdown of human consciousness um, during the, thir- the, uh, the second hour of the program tonight. So I'm going to wrap up this hour. Um, this show has been What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio. Listen here every Tuesday and Thursday night at RevolutionBroadcasting.com at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. My website is WhatOnEarthIsHappening.com. We'll be right back for the second hour.
0: Freedom, man. That's what it's all about. Dr. Groove on Freedom, like the good book says. Welcome. You are listening to What on Earth is Happening. And now, here is your host, Mark Passio.
1: Okay, welcome. This is What on Earth is Happening, and I'm your host, Mark Passio. Uh, Where we left off the last show, we were talking about human consciousness, and we were talking about the ways that consciousness manifests. We were discussing the internal feminine quality of human consciousness, and how that compares and contrasts with the external manifestation, the masculine uh, manifestation of human consciousness. So... Let's get right back into that, and maybe we'll take some calls later in the hour. So I was talking about yin consciousness, yin energy. This is lunar. It's associated with uh, the moon, okay, symbolically. And it's feminine. It's a feminine energy because it is indwelling, okay? This is an internal aspect of, of our consciousness, of our makeup. It's intuitive. Okay? It is it's a passive element. It isn't very active. It, it, it it's uh, associated with with the night, okay? And basically this quality of consciousness is directly related to our emotions. Our emotions are the internal quality of consciousness within us the yang consciousness the male energy the masculine form of consciousness it's solar that's that's the, the symbolic uh way that it is depicted as the sun it is an active quality it's logical and analytical and it is dominant okay it is not passive or submissive it, it is a more Aggressive or dominant energy. And this energy is all about our actions in the world. This is all about how we make our consciousness manifest to others through our actions. You've heard the saying, you will know them by their actions. And that is certainly true. Um, We have to strive, if we want to become more conscious, to bring these two qualities into unison and balance with each other within ourselves. So we have to strive to become beings that as we feel, so we take action. And that our actions aren't in contradiction or opposition with how we really feel inside. So if I feel something is wrong, is not morally correct, is not morally justifiable, and I do it anyway, for whatever reason, the the reason does not matter, I'm in opposition with myself doesn't make a difference what the reason is. Justifications and excuses really, at the end of the day, do not hold any water. Okay? That's all they are, is justifications and excuses. If we continue to take actions that we actually believe aren't morally justified, aren't really, we really should not be doing, we know that deep down inside then we are in a state of internal opposition with ourselves, with our own consciousness. And for that very reason, that is why we're largely experiencing the the negative and uncomfortable and often painful situations that we're experiencing in the world today, because we are in a state of internal opposition with ourselves. We have to strive to make these two qualities into one within us. And there's many different methodologies for doing that. I'm going to get into eventually on this show practical grassroots solutions for affecting real change in in our lives. But I want to talk about, again, briefly, The idea that there is a solution for every problem that is out there. There really is a solution. And there's a formula for problem solving. That's what we're ultimately really looking for. We're really striving to find the solution to this problem. And you can know all you want about the problem. You can learn more and more and more and more about the chains that you're held in. But ultimately, if you're not looking for the way out of those chains, what is the difference how much you know about the chains? Okay, It's a step. It is a first step. You do have to understand how the problems manifest. Okay, but We ultimately have to strive for solutions. And the way we get down to that problem solving is by finding enough information about the ultimate nature, the core nature of the problem. And the core nature of the problem that we face is we do not ultimately know ourselves. We do not ultimately know enough about human consciousness and the way it works. And that is a manipulator's dream scenario. If you have A person or a group of people who do not really understand how they work, they don't understand how their mind works, they don't really understand how their emotional makeup works, maybe they're not a very emotionally developed person, okay, you're in a position to completely manipulate and control their behavior. Because you know more about their makeup and how they work than they do. And I guarantee you, think, think of it like this. Here's a great metaphor for this. Imagine a psychologist who has studied the human mind and the psyche more than anyone. Let's say this is one of the most advanced psychologists that has ever lived. He has done more work and delving into the human psyche than anyone else before him. Let's say he had a friend that for whatever reason, you can make up whatever reason you want, he started really despising. He had some kind of a, pro- a problem with him. Maybe he became aware that the friend did something to him behind his back, and he really wanted to get back at that person. Okay. How much of a number do you think... A psychologist like that would be able to do with a person that he became very close to and became close with in life. How much of a number, knowing what he knows about the mind and the psyche, do you think he would be able to do on that other individual? I guarantee you he could practically make life a living hell for him. And that's ultimately what the nature of the problem that we're faced with in the world today is really all about. You could look at the manipulators of this world. You could look at the occultists, the dark occultists of this world who use their knowledge of how the uh, natural law systems of consciousness work in this world. They use them as weapons against people who do not possess that knowledge. And that places them in a position of higher ground in warfare. And you know what happens when someone gets the higher ground. You know, you can look at it like a chess game. Chess requires a lot of different elements, you know, coming together for someone to really be an excellent chess player. You have to really know the game. You have to know how the laws of the game work, right? You can't just make moves wherever you want. You have to know, you know, how the pieces move. On the chessboard this could be called natural law natural law is simply how the system that we're in does work whether we believe it accept it or not there are laws that bind this place that we are inextricably bound to and by and if we break them we suffer and if we come into harmony with them if we harmonize with them then we don't suffer that will be a hard bitter pill to swallow for many people but nonetheless it is a case Now, a good chess player understands that, you know. He he understands how the pieces move and the, the moves that they're capable of making. But he has other qualities in his arsenal. He has a knowledge of the opponent. Knowledge of the opponent. A good chess player has to know who he's sitting down and playing against. He has to know whether they know as much about the game as he does. He has to know what their strategy is more importantly he has to know what their motivations are he has to know what really drives them what are they thinking do i understand what they're really wanting to do because if i do then i could stay several steps ahead of them he has to have a sense of timing to know when to make certain moves okay and he definitely has to be able to put out whatever is necessary to get the job done. So he has to have a, a sense of duty, if you like, or a call to sacrifice. You might need to sacrifice certain pieces to put yourself in a position uh, where you want to be. And uh, I think um, we'll, we'll talk about different events throughout history as... Human sacrifices. We'll, we'll get into 9-11 as a human sacrifice event to advance an agenda forward in this game that's being played. And we'll get into that in, in weeks ahead. So this is the, these are the qualities that go into playing a, a good game of chess. That's, that's the necessary formula. And I would suggest that the manipulators of the world have all of these qualities and to a very great extent most of the people that they are um, working against that they are attempting to control do not have many of these qualities in place. As a matter of fact, most people don't even know there's a game being played and haven't even shown up. So what this show is going to be a call to is trying to get more of those people to show up at the game board and uh, hopefully work our way up to a higher position so we are not pawns in the game being played, okay? We can't let ourselves be played in this game like pawns. See, we have to become the masters of this game. The chess master isn't on the board. The chess master isn't on the game board floor. Right? When you sit down, if you're a chess master, you're not not actually walking onto the board. You're sitting down in a chair. And your perspective is higher than the board. You can look down onto the board because you're at a higher level. That's what we need to become. See, sadly, most people are those pieces. Most people are those pieces. And most people are the pawns in the game and don't even know it. They don't even know that they have strings tied to them. And that they're, where they're being told to move is a completely controlled function. And the chess master is moving them at his discretion and at his own personal will. And most people never, ever see the strings that have them tied down. And they never see that they're a pawn in that game. That they're wanderers on that board, you know, that checkered board. We'll talk about the symbolism of the checkered floor. Okay? The black and white squares. Right? That's the game board floor where if you're on it and that's your level of consciousness, you don't know that you're being played. And you're basically a piece that is being positioned by a master who exists at a level much higher than you you're a wanderer you don't really know which is those those black and white squares representing light and dark you really don't know which is which you know it's all from your perspective you can only see one or maybe two squares ahead of you but you can't see the whole game you can't pull back and see the whole picture that's what ultimately I'm trying to get people to do is pull back, see the really bigger picture, not even from the box that most of us bring to the table, because many of us bring boxes to the table when it comes to looking at what really is and looking at the truth. We want to, uh, some of us may even want to look at what the truth is, but we, want, we strive to fit it into the pre-existing ways that we had of looking at reality we try to say well I previously thought this and I now have taken in this new information how can I get it to jive with the uh, belief system that I previously held? okay and a big big part of this will be religion okay? this is something that there, there's so much evidence that this is a, a manipulation and form of mind control And yet you hear many people that never want to admit to that and who don't look into the basis and the the formulation of their religions and how that is also a form of mind control. So people bring different boxes to the table. The boxes are of all shapes and sizes and colors and and materials, but uh, newsflash, the truth does not fit in a box. So... If you're bringing a box to the table, eventually, at some point, this show is going to make you feel uncomfortable, and I want it to do that because the truth, again, does not fit in a box, and anybody trying to stuff it into a box is going to be sorely disappointed. So let's get back into our discussion about self-knowledge. Self-knowledge is what we need. We need consciousness, the ability to recognize patterns of information, the ability to recognize what is taking place both within us and around us in the external reality that we experience and share with others. So consciousness at its core has a dual nature of internal feminine qualities and external masculine qualities. How this manifests in each individual, in each individual unit of consciousness, let's call it, in different uh, mystical traditions, uh, the the word monad is often used. The one that is the expression of the all, and there are many monads, each individual has their own unique uh, expressed consciousness, even though we're all part of the one unified ocean of consciousness. That exists in in the universe but getting down to the breakdown of the monad the individual unit of consciousness or an individual being there are basically three expressions and if you sit and really think about this you really give it some deep thought there really are only three ways that your consciousness can express itself In the reality that we live in think about it you really can only experience three different manifested forms of consciousness the ways that you make yourself known to other people and these are through your thoughts your emotions and your actions your thoughts your emotions and your actions the thoughts can be looked at as the primary expression of consciousness. They are an emanation. Okay, They're not really male or female. They're, they just are. They're not an internal nor an external manifestation. They are an essence. So that's a fundamental basis of consciousness. Thought activity. Look at that as our creator aspect. Okay? We have a creator aspect within us. Okay? And that is our thoughts. It has been said that the universe itself is mental, it is comprised of thought energy. Everything that we experience ultimately had to derive at some place in the past as a thought. Okay, A fork, an eating implement. Okay, Someone had to think, I want to make something to use as an eating implement and devise something that we now know as a fork. But the thought had to arise first. And this is with anything. Any action we take had to ultimately arise as a thought. Any piece of technology that we make had to arise as a thought. Any series of events that we experience had to exist first in the thoughts of the people that made that event occur. The second aspect of consciousness, as it manifests in our reality, is our emotions. Our emotions are the internal aspect of our consciousness these are the ways that we basically express ourselves within the body within our own bodies within our own physical makeup we express ourselves inside of us through how we feel okay this is basically the thoughts coming into the body and then carrying a An energy that is then expressed through the physiology and we feel it in the physiology. And that's called our emotions. So that's the sacred feminine quality of our consciousness. You could look at it as the divine mother in this consciousness trinity. You have the creator aspect and then you have the internal feminine motherly aspect. You know, our emotions are the spirit in which we do things, right? They're the spirit in which we do things. Just like in the Trinity, we call this aspect the Holy Spirit. Okay, so the thoughts, that's the root, the essence, the primary essence of consciousness, and that is the creator aspect. The emotions, the internal feminine aspect of consciousness, that's the spirit aspect. Okay, So we have the mind and now we have the spirit. And then the third quality of consciousness, the third aspect, is our actions. What we actually do with what we know in our mind, the thought aspect, and what we carry within us in our emotional makeup our spirit, both of these two things then create a synthesis called our behavior, the actions that we take in the world in relation to others. And this is the child of our thoughts and our emotions. So if we look at the thoughts as a creator aspect of our consciousness, that um, basically expresses the mind, we look at the emotions as the sacred feminine quality of our consciousness that expresses the spirit, we can look at our actions as the divine child or the byproduct of these two other qualities of consciousness that basically determines what we do and how we interact with others in the world. And this is the divine child. And the actions are, again, it's the yang quality of consciousness, which is a masculine energy. So we could look at this as a divine male child. Hopefully some people will see where I'm going with this analogy and breakdown. This is the trinity. This is the creator. This is the divine mother and the divine child. And the Divine Mother could also be considered the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. So this also gives us the mind, body, and spirit connection. Because, again, our thoughts are how our mind manifests. The actions are what we do with our body. And the emotions are our internal quality and our internal makeup, the sacred feminine quality, which is our spirit, the spirit in which we do things. This uh, concept that I have just described in different mystical traditions has been called the law of three, or the triune aspect of human consciousness. Triune means three in one, three in one. And of course, you can see the, uh, the uh, analogy to different mystical traditions and different uh, religious traditions notions of a trinity in many different cultures. So the next thing that I want to talk about here tonight is how these three qualities express inside the human physiology. And this is critical toward understanding how people are manipulated. And if we don't get any any, uh, callers, if we have some callers that are going to call in, I'll give the call-in number one more time, If we uh, do get callers, I will take some calls during this hour. If we don't get callers, I'm just going to uh, continue to get into the physiological aspects of consciousness through a breakdown of the human brain for the rest of this show. So if we get some callers, maybe we'll take some. If not, I'll just continue on with uh, an analysis of the physiology uh, and the human brain and how that relates with our consciousness and that's what we'll do for the remainder of this show so the human brain is part of the discovery of self yet if you go to an average person on the street or even in your family or your other friends many people do not really understand what they carry in between their own ears they don't understand any of the components They don't understand the makeup of the brain. They don't understand how the brain works. They don't understand what qualities of their personalities the different components of the brain drives or gives rise to. And this is extremely and exceedingly sad because if somebody doesn't understand how the most sacred gift that they have ever really been given, I would say, aside from free will. But let's put it this way. This is how your free will manifests itself. If you don't have a brain, you're really not going to be able to manifest much free will. So I think the greatest gift that we're ever really given in the universe is our free will. And um, I think to understand um, the human brain is to really understand ourselves and how uh, we are a gifted species by even possessing a brain of the order and magnitude that we do have. So that's why I think it's critical for our understanding of what's going on in the world to understand what is going on in our own brain. And the first way we need to do that is by basically understanding basic structures within the brain. I'm not going to get super technical and I'm not going to go into any kind of high-level neuroscience. All I want to do is basically break down some of the structures in the brain and get people to understand how these structures are directly connected and tied with fundamental human motivations. Okay? So, the oldest part of the human brain and The the simplest structures of the human brain are in the lowest parts of the brain, the actual height-wise, the lowest part. Now, think about how interesting that is. It's like saying a foundation of a house, which is the part that is laid down first, is at the lowest level of the house. Of course, that's true, because you can't build something on top of it if you don't have a foundation there to begin with so this base part of the brain is called the r complex the r complex letter r and the word complex and the letter r stands for reptilian the reptilian complex otherwise more simply called the reptile brain So, right there, I'll bet in most people were unaware, you, inside of you, have a reptile brain. You do. This part of the brain is the the controller of physical activity. Motor skills are controlled by the R-complex of the brain. The R-complex is basically two components. It's the brain stem, which connects to the spinal column, and behind that, near the back of the head, <coughs> there is a region called the cerebellum. These two components of the brain govern motor skills. They govern motor skills. Without this part of the brain, you would not be able to move you would not be able to move your arms and legs. You would not be able to walk. You would not be able to talk. You would not be able to basically do anything that involves moving any of the muscles of your body. So it's a critically important part of the brain. You need this part of the brain to do anything in the world, basically. However, it governs some basic primitive behaviors that we all experience and display At one point or another in our lives this part of the brain governs the fight or flight mechanisms of the consciousness see when we were a less evolved being we engaged predators that we had to make a decision about did we have enough ability to stand and fight them Given the situation or the tools or weapons that we had? Or would we have to flee from them in order to survive? Because this part of the brain, the R complex, is all about survival. It's all about what we need to do to survive. It governs eating, okay, sleeping, anything that we need to do to survive in the physical world that we live in. And the fight or flight response is about what we do when our survival is threatened. What happens during this state of mind, this fight or flight response, is the heart begins to pump blood very quickly. And it's pumping it away from two areas of the body and toward to other areas of the body. Okay, So when we go into fight-or-flight response, which is otherwise called stress, this is commonly referred to in the modern world as stress. Okay? When we go into this modality of consciousness, the, the R-complex of the brain sends instructions to the human heart And it says, pump blood faster. Pump it away from the torso and the head. Now think about that. Blood begins to pump vigorously away from the torso and the head. So in the torso is all of our vital organs. In the head is the brain. Okay? So richly oxygenated blood is not being sent during times of stress, otherwise called fight or flight response. It is not being sent actively to the torso or to the head, to the brain. Why? Well, during times of making a decision about whether you're going to fight or run away, once that decision is made, you're choosing either to stand and fight or to run because you're, you're, under, uh, you're in a situation where you're being preyed upon. You don't need blood in those areas of the body. That's not the top priority in that given situation. Blood needs to go to the extremities. You're not going to sit and do any conceptual thinking if you're under attack by, let's say, a mountain lion. You're not going to think about deep conceptual ideas or philosophical ideas. You're also not going to do much digestion in that state or any other functions that the internal organs go to work on to process, uh, uh, to process uh, uh, food and other, uh, other nutrients in the body. That's not a priority either at that time. What is a priority? What is a priority in a state of consciousness like that is you need to either have a lot of energy in your arms because you're going to need to be using them to fight off your attacker. So your arms muscles have to... Uh, get all of that richly oxygenated blood so that it can become hard and that they can have energy to be wielded as weapons in the battle that you're about to be in. Conversely, if you made the decision to run away, lots of richly oxygenated blood needs to drive the muscles of your legs so that you can flee the situation as fast as possible in order to survive. If now, that, think about that in, in um, strategic survival terms. It makes so much sense. It makes so much sense once we understand that that's the mechanism that is really going on in our bodies and that the brain is driving that. Okay? You don't need the blood in the head or torso during a moment of attack. You need it in the extremity so you can either fight or run away. Now, that makes sense. In a situation where you're fighting an attacker or a mountain lion, however, in the modern world, where do we see this happening most frequently? We're not really in many situations where we actually physically need to make a decision to fight somebody or to flee. Okay, in, in certain instances, yes, that is the case, but in general. Where this this, um, mechanism of the brain is activating and going to work most frequently is when we are engaged in stressful activities, and we're almost always engaged in stressful activities, particularly in Western cultural uh, life. So, unfortunately, this places us at an even greater disadvantage. This is actually an advantageous survival adaption technique in the brain, which has become a detriment in modern society. Because what we're doing with this function is we're essentially staying in through most of the days, most of the hours of the day, days that we live, we are staying in this construct of consciousness. We're living in The reptile brain most of the time most people are living in the reptile brain most of the time because we're it's one thing to the next a hectic busy lifestyle a job dealing with children uh, dealing with physical tasks and activities traffic other people during the day that we don't want to deal with and interact with it's a constant struggle and a constant engaging in the reptile brain, and this is what we call stress. Now, in a context where there is no ability to either fight or run away, and therefore use it and then go back to normal brain function, we're essentially being trapped in that reptile brain throughout most of our lives as a culture. And this does very harmful things to the other structures of the brain, which I'm going to get into in uh, the last 15 or 20 minutes of the show today. So the, ma- the mammal brain is the next part of the brain I'm going to talk about. So we have a reptile brain, and it's the base brain, and it governs survival and fight-or-flight response. Okay? The mammal brain, also called the limbic system, the limbic system, Governs our emotional makeup. It governs the chemical interactions through which we experience our emotions. Okay, the limbic brain governs the chemical interactions through which we experience what we call our emotions. Again, the sacred feminine, internally felt quality of consciousness. Okay? So our emotional makeup is largely directed through, it's it's not derived by, it doesn't come into being because of the the limbic brain or the mammal brain, but that's how the emotions basically get to uh, a place where they can affect the physiology. They act through the mammal brain or the limbic brain. And this is the sacred feminine part of the brain. This is called the midbrain. In some uh, occult traditions, they call it the middle chamber, the middle chamber. Some people will recognize that uh, uh, concept. So without this part of the brain, we could feel no emotions. Think of it in relation to a reptile who doesn't have a mammal brain, a mammalian brain. They only have a reptilian brain. They are a creature of instinct, again, survival Cold bloodedness is a feature of a reptile. They don't really experience emotions the way mammals experience emotions. Just consider a crocodile in relationship to a dog or a chimpanzee. A dog and a chimpanzee really experience emotional states that are quite different than a crocodile. A crocodile is largely a creature of instinct. You can see a chimpanzee become sad, or a dog become sad, and many other emotional states. Now, that's what we share in common. We share these two brains in common with different species in the animal kingdom, with reptiles and with mammals. There's a part of the brain that really makes us unique and actually in a higher level of organization and consciousness, and that is the human brain. And this is what most people think of when they think of the brain. They think of the gray matter, the gray matter part of the brain. And this is, this is basically called the telencephalon. The gray matter section of the brain is called the telencephalon, the part of the brain where most of the neural activity takes place for human thought is in the outer portion, the outer layer of the telencephalon, and this is called the human neocortex, the neocortex. This part of the brain governs all higher-order thinking of an individual. Every quality that really makes us human We have, as a result of having, a highly developed neocortex. The neocortex is bilaterally symmetrical, and I've already talked a bit about this and brought up a little bit about the left and right brain. We have a left brain and a right brain. The left brain is the male aspect of the brain. It it governs analytical thought, logic scientific thought mathematical thought it governs um, the our use of words and language okay so the left brain hemisphere these are all the functions that it deals with that it makes possible and this is the neocortex we're talking about the higher order thought center of the brain all the functions that really make us human and separate us from the other animals this is the part of the brain that governs those functions the other side of the human neocortex is called the right brain this is the yin energy the feminine qualities of the of the human makeup can be found uh, by looking into the functions of the right brain the right brain governs um, intuition simple knowing without really understanding how one knows, the gut feeling, you know, an intuitive quality. It governs creativity. So the way we express our thoughts and emotions through art, through music, through uh, all other forms of creative expression, creative writing and dance and things like that, we're really engaging the right brain when we engage in creative uh, ideas and creative activities. And then... Uh, Holistic thought, you know, the idea that we are essentially one, that there is relationship between us and others, and that we're not separate. This idea largely derives out of the right brain functions. And this is why we say when we talk about the right brain, we're in our right mind or we're not in our right mind. We don't have a connection to this part of the brain. We're not really in our right mind, so to speak. It's not just a uh, a play on words. It actually has a basis in the fundamental physiology of the human brain. So, if we go back to the uh, metaphor that I started talking about earlier in this show, we talked about consciousness and how it has a threefold aspect. Well, just as consciousness has a threefold aspect, our thoughts, our emotions, and our actions. Our brain also has a triune nature. And they call, scientists uh, and, and uh, neuroscientists call this the triune brain. It's the three in one, again, triune. okay. You have the reptile brain, the mammal brain, and the human brain. We are basically three beings in one. And there is a hierarchy to this. There is a way that information should be processed according to this threefold or triune system if it is functioning properly. And by functioning properly, what I mean by that is a balance between the left and right brain hemispheres. This is called global EEG coherence in scientific terms. Okay? In neuroscience, that's what they call it. It means that your left brain and right brain hemispheres are both firing in unison and in harmony. And the neural activity and the electrochemical uh, synaptic activity is fully working and is fully alive and lit up in all the hemisphere, in both hemispheres of the brain, all across the hemispheres. In other words, this is a brain that is firing on all cylinders, so to speak. It is a lit up mind. It is a person who lives in balance within themselves. And as such, they're capable of really living in balance with others and with their environment. See, the human brain is designed to be the executive command center of the whole brain complex. It is the part of the brain, again, that deals with higher order thought. You could look at it as if you have a company, you have a a CEO of a company, you have a person that really makes the critical executive decisions. Well, this part of the brain governs reason, and it governs the way we use our actions in balance with our emotions. So if we have a balanced neocortex and not one side dominates the other, we don't have an imbalance to the left brain hemisphere, and we don't have an imbalance to the right brain hemisphere, we become a person that is capable of higher order thought, conceptual thinking, and reasonable Behavior, meaning behavior that is governed by through the ability to reason and recognize patterns and recognize meaning with respect to patterns this is the greatest gift that our species possesses there is no more complex object in the known universe than the frontal portions of the human neocortex none it is the most advanced supercomputer that pro- that we will probably ever know of or discover this is the most advanced computer that exists and it is the most complex substance that we know of and it's sitting right behind your eyes think about that okay now if that part of the brain is working properly, we are in touch with the sacred feminine component of the, the brain structures, which is the limbic brain or the mammal brain, otherwise called the midbrain. This is always sending data upward toward the neocortex. Okay? Think about it. The spiritual part of the brain. The sacred feminine part of the brain that governs our emotions is always trying to send data upward to the reasoning functions of the brain, the the, the logical and analytical left brain and the creative nurturing and and intuitive right brain, always receiving instructions from the midbrain. Okay, so if 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 the brain is functioning properly, that's how it works, and then. Through the neocortex, we'll send instructions back down to the motor centers of the brain, the rep- reptile brain, so that we use our actions governed by reason. Okay? Think about how this works. Really let it absorb. This is critical information to understand. If we under- are going to understand how we work, if we don't understand how we work, we're completely subject to manipulation and mind control. And this is ultimately about becoming a being that governs oneself and is not subjected to the control of the mind through other people attempting to usurp and control one's mind and behavior. That's what this is ultimately about. And if we're going to do that, We have to understand how we work. And one of the best ways to do this is to understand the basics of neuroscience function and the basic structures of the human brain. So what happens when we're constantly in the reptile brain? What happens when we're either imbalanced toward one brain hemisphere or the other brain hemisphere? Well, it's interesting because different things happen depending on the nature of the imbalance. And what I'll start to get into a little bit next week is I will talk about the different methodologies, the different methods of mind control that go to work on the different sides of the brain. Okay? Because it's a, these are targeted functions. These are targeted methodologies the mind control that is used against us. And there's two big ones in particular, which I'll get into. And I will explain how one of them goes to work on the left brain. One of them goes to work on the right brain. One of them holds back the left brain. One of them holds back the right brain. So these these methodologies of mind control are geared and devised to throw people into one state of imbalance or the other, either completely left brain functions or completely uh, dwelling in right brain functions. And this is a dangerous trap to fall into, and I would say 95% or better of people really are in one of these states of imbalance or another, either imbalance toward the left brain hemisphere Or the right brain hemisphere. So I think um, uh, what I'll basically uh, do to wrap this show up, I think uh, instead of trying to get into all of that right now, um, let's leave it where we have it for now. I'm uh, kind of a little bit disappointed that we didn't get to take any callers, but uh, unfortunately it looks like no one called into the switchboard. Uh, Let's see if we could uh, Uh, get some callers in next week. I'd really be happy to take some of your calls and get some of your thoughts on these ideas. But for now, I'm going to uh, wrap it up here and um, uh, just give you some of the uh, websites where you can listen to this show and many other great shows as well. Uh, uh, Another big thanks to Bob Tuscan for getting me started on the Revolution Broadcasting Network. Uh, His show is um, is, uh, going to be uh, coming up uh, in, in, uh, uh, at, at 10 p.m. on the East Coast. And uh, um, my website, you can go to and check out some of these ideas and listen to uh, and watch uh, many hours of presentations and uh, lectures about these concepts and many others. I get into uh, all of the breakdown of consciousness. I get into the methods of mind control. I get into solutions. That's ultimately what we're going to talk about as we go forward on this radio show. And uh, my website is whatonearthishappening.com. whatonearthishappening.com. I'll be here every Tuesday and Thursday night on Revolution Broadcasting at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Catch you next time. Thank you for listening.